Hey, this is Thinking and Drinking. I'm your host, Bart Almond. Over the last 30 years or so, I've worked for major record companies, working with major artists such as Alabama, the Dixie Chicks, and Florida Georgia Line. I've also been writing songs for the past 15 years, have over 50 cuts, two number ones, and made a lot of friends along the way. I'm going to be talking to some of those friends about songs, life on the road, and just life in general. I hope you have as much fun as I will. Wayne Pauly and I have been friends since 1999. That's about as long as I've known anyone. His resume reads like a who's who in the music business. AC, country, rock, symphonies, and TV shows. He's done it all. As a front of house engineer, tour manager, production guy, he's done everything. And he stayed pretty nice. Pretty nice. We've been all around the country together, and I'll always be thankful for his friendship, his sense of humor, and his evil Knievel suit. Ask him about that if you see him sometime. I had such fun catching up with Wayne. An hour was definitely not enough. Here's Wayne Polly. Wayne Polly, thinking and drinking. Hi, buddy. Thinking and drinking. I like it. Yes, you want need to make a cocktail? Well, you do whatever you want. I'm drinking uh, sparkling ice, cherry lemonade, and water. Yeah. And I typically have coffee, but my stomach's just kind of doing flip-flops today, so I didn't do that. Yeah, I can't drink coffee after after noon, after twelve. It just doesn't 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 do it for me anymore. Is that because you gotta go to bed at like six? Well, seven. Seven. <laughs> Isn't it funny how the older we get, the the less we feel like we're missing when we go to bed earlier? <laughs> Not missing a thing. <laughs> nope. I'm lucky to make it through the news at this point oh dude oh, oh dude. god so are you over in in east nashville is that correct i'm just on the north end of it yeah okay how'd you guys fare with the storms and everything uh we got pretty lucky actually um we had some pretty good wind uh we didn't get any real tree damage here in our localized uh, neighborhood and we're kind of up a little bit in elevation so flooding really in the thing we had a lot of runoff water though so I mean, oh, you it, was, did? it was it was wet everywhere, but we didn't get any flooding or anything like that. So, man, fortunate. Well, that's thankful, dude. It, uh, those last couple of storms have been pretty, pretty insane. Oh, dude, but, trust me. When March rolled around, I'm like, are we going to let March come back in the way it did a year ago? Yeah. I mean, come on now. <laughs> you better especially be nice. where you, well, especially where you guys are. I went up there and and helped a couple of friends whose houses had been destroyed, and it was. It was nuts, man. Yeah. Crazy right. times, my brother. Crazy times. So you were born in West Virginia in uh what was it what was it in your in your bio? Slightly rural? West Virginia? <laughs> Semi-rural. Semi-rural. Semi-rural, yeah. <laughs> no, just outside of the, the the capital city of Charleston. I was about ten, maybe fifteen minutes outside and uh, it was a great place to grow up, man, especially in the early seventies. It just it was beautiful. Everyone was, it's just, it's that kind of neighborhood thing that you read about and you see in movies and, you know, stuff like that. It's just, yeah. it, was, it was gorgeous. It was great. Kids could run around and play Monopoly for two oh days with the neighbors and mom and dad dude. didn't send the cops out. No, no, dude. Yeah. They had to come get us at dark. <laughs> <laughs> that was a real thing. That was a real thing. Uh, I'll tell you a real quick, funny story. There was one time I was, uh, our yard was kind of long, not, not as big as a football field, but shaped like one. Holy cow. And uh, it wasn't nearly that big. 
and it was on the side of a hill, so only part of it was flat. But I was out riding my bike, and we had a fence all the way around the all the way around the, the property. It was all the way at one end, um, talking to one of my neighbors. I was standing there on my bicycle, and it was one of those little – I must have been seven years old, something like that. And it was one of those little banana seat bicycles. That you put the cards in the pet and the spokes and the down the road kind of oh, shit. Oh, yeah. That was the you show know? in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was out <laughs> – was out talking to one of my neighbors and he, he and I were the same age and we were just talking about whatever. And, uh, I lived with my grandparents. I grew up with my grandparents. Oh, wow. So, um, uh, my granddad came outside and he said, son, it's time to come in. I'm like, okay, I'll be here in a second. And he waited about 15 seconds. He says, I said, it was time to come in. I said, I'll be right there. <laughs> and then uh, he said, son, I said, it's time to come in. I meant now. And I hemmed and hawed and I looked up and I said, I'll be there when I'm ready. Oh boy. As soon as I said that, he took off walking towards me <laughs> slowly, like some sort of John Wayne-esque character. That's what I was just going to say. Slowly unbuckling his belt. Oh man. And as soon as I saw him do that, my, my I looked like Macaulay Culkin in Home Alone. I was like, ah! <laughs> and I took off riding around the yard <laughs> thinking I could get around him and get in the house so my grandma would save me. And he, of course, cut the corner directly towards me. And as soon as I got close enough, he took that belt and he slung that thing like Indiana Jones and what out hit me in the small of the back. <laughs> now, of course, I was seven and super overly dramatic. Yes. So I instantly cried like a little girl, both feet straight up in the air. The bike goes tumbling end over end. <laughs> I get up and I'm just, <laughs> I'm sorry, grandpa. All I'm the way, sorry. All the way in the house, all the way in the house. <laughs> I'll never yeah. forget that. Hey, uh, by the way, you actually cried like a little boy. <laughs> well, yes, I did. That's true. <laughs> so I, I know, I know you grew <laughs> up singing and, and playing bass in choir and jazz bands and such. Did you, I mean, yeah. did you have a musical family or were you the only guy no. in, in the family? Uh, actually I did not. Um, it was one of those things that was literally just a gift from God, man. Um, no one in my family was musically inclined in any way, shape or form. Uh, I grew up, we grew up listening to music from the time I was born, obviously. And my grandparents, you know, being, um, people who were around, you know, grandpa was in World War II. So, I mean, they were in that generation oh, wow. of, of, you know, pre-boomer, I guess. Yeah. The the, the last generation of manly men, I guess, whatever. <laughs> yes. But uh, um, <laughs> we always grew up listening to the super old school country, you know, from Hank Sr. and uh, yeah. George and Tammy and, um, you know, Marty Robbins and, you know, uh, that kind of stuff. So that stuff was always around when I was a little kid, but it wasn't until I got into like, I think it was fourth grade um, in our elementary school, uh, a musical, a music teacher came in randomly one day to us. We didn't know and gave everyone a musical aptitude test. Just uh, this is this, what is this, you know? And the only person that scored higher than me had three years of piano. Dang. It was just one of those things, I, you know, like I said, it's just a gift from God. Well, that's, that's only way I can explain it. I always ask this and, I, and, and it sounds super rude, but I don't mean it to be that way. But what made you think you could maybe do this? I didn't. You just thought I'll give it a whirl. I never thought about happens? it. Oh, okay. no, no, I, never, I never thought about it. Um, music was such an integral part of who I was as a young person. Yeah. You know, I, started, I started out playing trombone. 
And then I started playing snare drum. And this was all even before we ever got to junior high, which is middle school now. I was right. still, you know, in fourth and fifth grade. Um, when I got into junior high and there was marching band and then there was concert band and then there was jazz band, I'm like, whoa, hang on. There's all of these possibilities, you know, and I had some fantastic teachers, just amazing human beings mm-hmm. uh, uh, ever since, you know, the beginning. Um, from Mr. Hamrick, who was my elementary teacher, to um, Leah Lewis, Kathy Corbett, uh, Bob Scott, Dang. the late Bob Scott, God love him. You know, these people were, uh, they were as big a part of my life and my upbringing as anyone else has been or could have been. Yeah. Well, you obviously have the embouchure for a trombone. I can see that from here. So, uh <laughs> Well, at some point in time, you, you decided to move to L.A. Well, when I, when I was in high school, I wanted to be a band director. So you get a kick out of this. As, as, as I came through my senior year of high school, as you know, everyone did, you're like, where are you going to go to college? Where are you going to go to college? So I was fortunate enough to put in for a couple of different places, and there was a private Baptist college that was willing to give me a free ride. It was uh, in uh, northern North Central West Virginia, place. Okay. Alderson Grados was the name of the college. And they offered to let me go to school if I played in their ensembles. Okay. Because they play and sing and the whole bit and everyone does everything. And it's a very small group. Um, so they don't, they don't hand out a whole lot of scholarships. Yeah. But I went with orientation and uh, I went with a couple of friends of mine who were also trying to get into the same college because it's, you know, pretty big deal. And uh, we walked through the whole campus and we listened to all the uh, rules and regulations. And did I mention private Baptist college? Oh, no, you didn't. <clears throat> yeah, it was a private Baptist college. Uh, so there were lots of rules and lots of regulations and lots of things you could not do. And uh, spent the whole day kind of taking it all in. And when the end of the day came, I got in the car and I went back home. Really? I said, Ma, I love you. That is not for me. So I officially went to college one day. Dang. And then you headed off to Beverly. Well, in uh, being fresh out of high school, you know, you don't just pick up and go. So there were some some friends of mine that had another band, like a rock band, that was playing up and down the East Coast. And they were kind of reformulating their band into a, a new thing and, they asked me and another guy to join. So by July of uh, 87, we were playing this rock band traveling up and down the East Coast. We did that for about a year. And you were playing bass before. and singing? I was playing bass and singing, yeah. We did that for about a year. And then uh, we figured out that we'd taken that East Coast club scene as far as it was ever going to go. So yeah. we decided to pack it up and move to Beverly. So why did you go to L.A. instead of? Nashville, which obviously you ended up later, or instead of New York City. Why didn't you go up there? You're already on the East Coast. Well, we were a hard rock band. Okay. And uh, and just at the time, 87, 88, 89, 90, all the way up. I was there until 94. And uh, it was just a place to be. You know, yeah. Everybody that we looked up to that we wanted to follow in the footsteps of came from the Sunset Strip. Right. Pretty much all of them, you know. Yeah. And yeah, we had friends out there already, so it was a, it was a, a lot easier 
to make the transition when you have a, a even a small support system of any kind. I always wish I would have given a shot to GIT or something and gone out there and, and do that. And now we have, there's so many guys like us that live here that did the yeah. West Coast thing. And so I always kind of thought, ah, crap, I wish I would have done that. But I didn't. Well, so. well, I mean, you know, to each his own, maybe it would have worked out, maybe it wouldn't have. You know, yeah. I always tell people when they ask me about, you know, the band, I said, we moved to LA to get a record deal. Cause we'd kind of taken, you know, what we were doing as far yeah. as it was going to go. We needed right. to get in front of some people, get in front of some labels, get out and, and make some noise. And, uh, you know, we were looked at by a couple of different labels and, and thankfully every single one of them passed, you know, and at the time you're like, man, we just can't catch a break. You know, in hindsight, I'm like, thank God we didn't get a record deal. I'm yeah. dead by now. Yeah. You know? You'd now My be the completely different, and, and yeah, I don't think it would have been this cool. <laughs> <laughs> you would have been the the fourth bass player in Rat. Yeah, at, at this point, yeah, at this point. <laughs> well, so so, how did you get into to doing sound and stuff? And were you doing that in L.A. while you were playing? I was. Also, uh, I started out go back all the way to junior high. You know, when playing in, we had little cover bands, and you know, we'd play parties and the occasional. Uh, prom or whatnot but i mean right. we didn't really do it for the money we just did it for the fun but i mean back then you can't really afford to have a sound guy so it was, you know either myself doing it or me and the guitar player would do it and we just do it from side stage and figured out how to wire a pa and which into the xlr goes into the microphone <laughs> <laughs> you know that's how it started really i mean i've made i think i made my first 25 dollars in 1984 while i was still in high school some people still don't know how to do that I know, right? <laughs> but uh, um, I never did it for a living. Uh, well, I still didn't do it for a living in L.A. I had a job, but I did it three nights a week. Being out there and playing music, you can't make money. Right. Because uh, everyone out there plays covers. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. Everyone out there plays, plays originals. No one plays covers in L.A. Unless you go to, like, a, you, you know, a, a cheesy tourist trap you see a, a bar band playing covers but no right. no real band out there ever played covers they all play originals because they want to get they want to get signed they want to get the a deal, deal. They wanna, yeah you know, make some of themselves so the thing about la especially in the 80s and 90s no one wants to listen to more than an hour of original material they've never heard before dude if even that if even that so bands would only ever come in and play 30 45 or 60 so if you want to fill a whole night, you got to have at least three bands. And there was no sound checks. So I got a gig uh, running sound at one of these clubs. I was the house guy, you know, three nights a week. And, you know, on the, on the weeknights, we'd see three bands. On Saturday, we'd see five. Golly. So, you know, no sound checks. You're just moving microphones. Right. And, uh, From that know. Marshall half stack over to that Marshall half stack. Yeah, yeah. Bands would load their stuff with 15 minutes set change and they'd bring an entire drum kit in, you know, half stacks, SVT rig, you know, right. if there was a keyboard player, God forbid. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Ray, what are you a yes cover band? This is going to be awesome. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> bring me two more keyboard players. Stat. <laughs> well, so, so you did that and you were doing, 
whatever, 20 bands a week. Yeah, and how, that's, how what got, that's what I got. cut my chops, man. That's yeah, what I got, exactly. You know, got good at it. And so did they, did they care? I'm not trying to be mean, but were they just thankful that someone was there to hopefully run a fader up during a guitar solo? And that was about it. Well, most of the bands that came through that time period, they all had a decent following. Okay. Um, so the bars always made a, 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 a good chunk at, at the, at the drink till. So okay. I mean, we didn't, we didn't get paid a lot of money, but for, you know, for the time being, for the time period, working four hours and making between a hundred and 150 bucks a night, you know, 1990, that was, yeah. that was a decent amount of money. It was enough to make you pay attention. You don't want to lose the gig. So, you know, so are you still playing on certain nights in your band and doing sound on other nights? So the band would only play about once a month. Okay. But we would only play places that where it was had an impact. Like we played okay. Gazaris. Right. When Bill was still alive. We played yeah, the Whiskey. Yeah. We played the Roxy, Coconut Teaser, Troubadour, FM Dang. Station. You know, we, we would only do like one show a month so we could concentrate that one show to get the most amount of people, to get the most amount of interest. Yeah. That's some pretty we had good... To, we had to, so the thing about back in the eighties, most people these days never heard of this, but it's called the locals called it pay to play. Oh yes. So essentially what it did, uh, if you're, if you're the him haw complainer type, basically you had to pay $700 to play. Yeah. But what they did is they would give you 120 to 150 tickets that you could sell at $7 a piece. So if you could get out and hustle and sell, more than your hundred tickets, you could make money on it, Gosh. but it's up to you to make the money. Yeah. You're promoting your own band. So what it did is it made you figure out some promotional tools pretty damn quickly, or you're going to spend a lot of money out of pocket. Do you want to tape up a flyer or two? Uh, I can neither confirm nor deny that. <laughs> as, uh, as Ollie Norris says, I have no recollection of those events, Senator. Well, so what you eventually made it to Nashville. Why did you decide to leave LA and why did you pick Nashville? Um, I left LA because the band had broken up. Okay. Um, after we'd basically gotten passed on by pretty much every label that mattered. Yeah. It became clear that what we were trying to accomplish, we were, we were just too late to the party is what it right. was. We were, we were in, you know, in the in our heyday was pretty much 91 92 and as we all know 93 was the end of yeah. the LA rock scene thanks nirvana although i do love butch fig love you butch <laughs> uh, so when the band broke up we're not saying you were wrong we're just saying I, yeah not saying just just an observation but uh when the band broke up you know i still had a regular day job i was still working at the club a couple nights a week I was only doing Friday and Saturday, I think, at that point. And um, the the young lady that I was living with at the time, she had moved out there with me uh, from West Virginia. And, you know, we just sat down one evening and decided that um, we should probably think about the next next move, the next step, you know. Yeah. Obviously, the band thing wasn't going to work out. And I even went and tried out for a couple of other bands, and it was just – it wasn't even it wasn't even enjoyable anymore. Yeah. After that, um, so about 
a month after that conversation, that was in December of 93, January the 14th of 1994, there was this thing called the Northridge earthquake. Uh huh. And it was the seventh earthquake that had happened in the time period that we lived there. Yeah. The only one that made me fear of my life. Really? It did. It felt like uh, someone had picked up our little tiny house up off the foundation, held it up in the air, shook it like a snow globe, and set it right back down. So seven earthquakes is the go or no-go line. Right. Yeah. Seven earthquakes, three fires, two floods, and the riots. Hmm. And people still live there. All right. Uh, Hey, you got got me. (laughs) (laughs) So when we left California, it was March of 94. Um, the only logical place to go at the time was back to West Virginia. Right. Um, my girl, she did, she, she missed her family tremendously. And it was just, it was the only real logical thing to do. So we went back to West Virginia and we ended up not working out in the end, but it, it was fine. Uh, we both are happy and it doesn't matter. She's a great person. I love her to death still. But that doesn't matter. Well, it matters, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> Sorry. Um, for about six months, I kind of tried to figure out where I wanted to go. Do you like to lie down on a couch or something right now while we work our way through this kind of stuff? Yeah. I don't is it's, it, it, it's is it Is it that kind of thing? I mean, no, I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> you wanted a story. I'm telling you a story. I know. <laughs> so I tried to figure out what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go. You know, I went to Orlando for a little while and I tried Chicago and Charlotte, Atlanta, and no place really stuck. A bunch what of, you, what were you, well, sorry to interrupt friends, What were you doing in those towns? I uh, was just visiting family oh, and okay. friends just to okay. see if I liked the town. Um, it was literally just for a weekend here and a weekend there just to okay. kind of feel it out. Um, and uh, back in West Virginia, uh, there were friends that I grew up with that had moved to Nashville in the early nineties, 91, 92, 93. And they were all high school buddies that I played music with. Oh, okay. And they're all living here, here being Nashville. Right. And they kept calling me and giving me grief for not coming to town. <laughs> like, why don't you, dude, why don't you just move here? Yeah. And I'll never forget it. Uh, one faithful day. I got a call, man, you got to come. You got to come to Nashville. I'm like, man, listen, I've been living in LA. I played the whiskey, you know, getting all, all machismo on it. I said, man, I played the freaking whiskey and Gazaris. What the hell do I want with a bunch of cowboy boots and cowboy hats? Finally, he says, okay, fine. I'll tell you what. Why don't you just come to town for a long weekend and hang out with your buddies and let's drink some beer? How about that? Yeah. Shit. Okay, fine. All right. Okay, fine. <laughs> so I agreed. I agreed. So that uh, second week of July of 95, I took off in a 1978 Datsun 280Z. Nice. Yes, it was a nice car. I wish I still had that car. Got all the way here, got to my buddy's house, and he says, hey, man, I got this showcase. He's a sound guy as well. I got this showcase that I'm doing this evening. Um, at this place called 12th and Porter. Uh, I could use a monitor guy. Uh, you want to come down and like make 50 bucks? I'm like, sure, man. Absolutely. So uh, 
we made our way down to 12th and Porter, having never been, you know, in any of these places before. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. So he's telling me a little bit about it. He says, man, it's just this little three-piece band. Uh, you know, guitar player sings, bass player sings, and a drummer. That's that's it. I'm like, all right, cool. So we head into the club. They are there. Sure enough, I know the bass player from West Virginia. Oh, hey, man. How's it going? Great. So um, who is it? I'll get to that in just a second. Oh, okay. There's, sorry. there's a punchline to it. Okay, sorry. Stop messing up my story, Bart. <laughs> so <laughs> we get in the club. I'm looking around, and if you'd ever been in 12th and Porter back, way back then, oh, yes. 95, the house PA was tiny. Yeah. So the headliner had brought in this massive set of, of stacks. I mean, just almost floor to ceiling. Holy crap. Like outdoor PA speakers. For a room the size of your bedroom. Well, it's basically twice the size of my living room, legitimately. (laughs) (laughs) So there's these massive speakers and all this equipment everywhere. And there's 400,000 monitor wedges, it looks like. (laughs) And I'm like, what in the hell is going on here? So the headliner is already done. So we get up and it's our turn to sound check. And, uh, you know, everything goes fine. And uh, we play the gig. And they offer me a job to, I mean, they're not working a lot, but they want me to, to go out and, and, you know, and help them yeah, yeah. And run monitors and, and the whole bit. And um, my first ever job was Keith Urban's four wheel drive. Nice. <laughs> it was Keith Urban, Jerry Flowers and Peter Clark. Yeah. Yeah. And I've known Jerry that, and his brother Randy from, we grew up together. Like we played. Really? Yeah. Dang. So, so that ended up being your first road gig. Once yeah, I came got, to town and I was here eight hours and had a job. I just never left. <laughs> and you're glad you never left. I'm glad I never left. So was that gig, I mean, obviously you'd been on the road East Coast wise as a player and everything. So now yeah. you're going out as a, as a tech guy and everything. Was it, was it everything you hoped it would be or was it more was it less? actually i did i did enjoy it it was a new challenge it was something different um there was i don't know man it just seemed like there was almost no stress to it yeah you know it, the 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 guys were pretty easy they're all great players yeah. great singers you know it was just it didn't seem like it was all that complicated or difficult and i'm like shit man i'm getting paid to do this I mean, yeah. it wasn't a lot, but it was better than nothing. But it was also a trio, and it was like there's a there's a lot going on in that band for a trio. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of music going on. There, it's. I told them from day one. I'm like, guys, you guys are the country version of Van Halen. Yeah, I'm telling you. Yeah, and I said that till the till the day the band died. <laughs> you know, Keith ended up having to break the band up, but that's a whole other story. So, so when did you and I meet? Was that, it was Yankee Gray, correct? It was, 99. Was it 99? It was, it was 99. Dang. Yeah, that was a, that was a semi-interesting time. I ended up, I was going through a divorce and kind of was the de facto sixth member of the band, most aggravating. Well, at that point it would have been the seventh member. (laughs) Oh, that's right. <clears throat> yeah, that band as a as a record guy, 
that I mean, I, you worked a lot harder than I did, but that band was a perfect example of how to work insanely hard and then blow the band up from the inside out. Oh like, my god! Oh, yeah, that was that was cool. Uh, <laughs> dude, I'm one of my one of my one of my favorite memories was I don't know if you remember this or not, but we did an in store at Tower Records on West End. Okay. The old Tower Records that everyone used to go to. Oh, love right that across place. from from uh, 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 the Parthenon. Yeah. There was there was an in store there. The whole band came and did an in store play. Like, you know, all six of them. And it was literally two speakers on a stick on a stage that was probably 12 by 12. Do you remember who opened up for us at that Tower Records in-store? I want to say it was either... No, I don't remember. Rascal Flats. Wow. Those three guys and three guitars got up and sang and played three songs before we started. And probably sounded pretty good. Well, yeah, they were <laughs> young and quite hungry back then. Yeah. So. Well, yeah. and now, go ahead. Sorry, man. No, I was just going to say that speaking of blowing the band up from inside out, you know, had, had, uh, had they been able to keep a level head, yeah. a lot of our lives would be a lot different today. Yeah. They were really good, man. That was a really, really good band. When it was well, they were tight on, like a band. Yeah, you know? yeah. Because they played like a band. They rehearsed in a. That's a great way a, to put it. Of a house. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like they used to do in, in the old days. And now, of course, we lost brother Jerry. God rest his soul. That one hurt. Oof. Yeah. Woo. Yeah, dude. He's like, how old was he? Fifty-five. Okay. Greatest band name in history. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uncle Daddy and the Family Secret. That's that it. One, uh, that one. That was Rob. Good. Yeah, I remember. I just saw. Just, I saw Rob at the funeral. <laughs> He's a well, great so, man. So since then, I mean, your resume is insane, and I know you've said like uh, you haven't toured with all of these acts, but the acts that you've done shows with and the symphonies and TV and everything else. I mean, it's unbelievable what you've done and you've been all over the world, man. I mean, it's, it's really, really insane what you've done. That's kind of very blessed friend. Very blessed. Yeah, no doubt. I've been at the right place at the right time a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And some of those gigs I literally got because I was the first person to say yes. Really? Yeah. Some of those gigs I was the first guy to say yes to. Well, I mean, doing country, AC, rock, TV, symphonies, whatever, what's, what's your favorite and, and why? Well, you go through phases in your life that, that they, you like different things. Yeah. You know? as a, as a getting back to my childhood as a very young child, you know, old school country was basically beaten into me. And as a teenager, you know, I found, uh, I think I saw a kiss in 1978 and that kind of changed my life. That changed a lot of lives, you know? And, um, you just, you go through phases in life and, 
I've, I've liked a lot of the things that I've done for the reasons that I liked them at the time. I don't know that I would want to go back. Yeah. Like at this point in my life, I wouldn't want to go back and do a theater show like Celtic woman again. It's just, right. I just have no desire to do it. It's, I'm glad I did it. And I had every desire to do it at the time. And it it's was pretty a, amazing though. It was an amazing experience yeah. all around, you know, and I'll cherish those memories until the day I die. And I learned a lot from it. It made me a better engineer and maybe a better human being. Um, but right now, man, I kind of dig what I'm doing. Well, you've been with yeah. Lee Bryce since, is it 2011? Yep. August will be 10 years. Man, so what what have you been doing while there's there's no shows to do? Well, we've been quietly and secretly still doing a little bit of this and that. <laughs> we've done a few live streams. We've done a few drive-in shows. Um, we've done some private events, lots of solo acoustic for 100 people kind of things. You know, just whatever whatever it takes to piecemeal it together. You know? what, are dri- what are drive-in shows like? Exactly like you'd expect. Yeah. They're not horrible, but they're not great. Yeah. Um, if that's the only show, yeah, I'll take it. Yeah. I'd rather that than nothing. Right. But it, it really kind of has to be like the last ditch effort. How do you guys do? So, I'm sorry, go ahead. It's, no, it's just, it's just so impersonal. It's so detached. Yeah. You know? um, yeah. We've done, we did a, a um, we did a festival in Rome, Georgia, um, a few months back where they did pod seating. I call it the cattle pen shows. Right. They right. make a little 10 foot square, 10 feet yeah. by 10 feet out of, out of bike rack. And you get, you can put you know four or six or eight or however many people the city will let you in your, in your pod. Right. Those are actually not bad because the crowd's still somewhat together. There's still some interaction and there's still some noise. There's some energy coming back and forth. Is that when they, the the ticket buyers say we need four tickets, we need eight beers, sixteen hot dogs, and two boxes? No, of they popcorn. had a little uh, one of those. No, so, <clears throat> well, you basically every pod has a number, just like a seat number. Okay, <clears throat> and you can um, have like let's we'll give you an example, like um, the front row would be like one A. 1B, 1C, 1D, you know, and so forth for the pods across the front. So if, if it's like hypothetically, if you could get eight people in a pod, your seat would be 1A1 or 1A2 or 1A3. Okay. And everyone has to be in the pod. Like that's your place. Right. Stay in your cattle pen or we'll hit you with the stick. <laughs> <laughs> Back to your pen. <laughs> I sick my granddad on you. <laughs> so you wear your mask from your car to the pod, correct? And then you yep. can take your mask off. Yeah. You can yeah. take it off in the pod. That's it. But you're supposed to come with everyone. You're supposed to come together. Everyone that's going right. to be in the pod is supposed to come together. Now, you know, whether that actually happens or not, I don't think that was policed, but that's, the, rock, that's the intention. Are rock bands doing that stuff as well? Uh, I've seen some in Europe. Okay. Doing it. Um, I haven't seen a whole lot of pod shows here. How do you do, how do you do merch? Um, I don't think we did merch on that or no, it was all online. So like you bought your t-shirt before or after or whatever. Yeah, man. Um, Interesting. Interesting. The beer sales were probably the coolest thing. 
they would have these <laughs> young people basically pulling around little red wagons full of beer and ice. Beer and sales was, were the coolest thing. <laughs> well, because you know, with every pod, there's an aisle on all four sides. Right, right, right. So there's there's plenty of room. There's a six foot, eight foot, sometimes ten foot aisles. So there's plenty of room, and they would get these young people. They weren't kids, but they were young people. Uh, you know, and they're all dressed alike with the event staff shirts, and you can see it, spot them a mile away, and they're all yeah. masked up, gloved up, in the whole bit, and yada yada. And uh, they would literally pull these little red wagons full of beer and ice, and it was all cans, and everyone had their own trash cans. So you just chug the beer and in the can okay. right there in your pod, and that, that was actually pretty smart. Yeah, you know, because you uh, you know as well as I do, you're not going to have a country show make money if you don't sell beer. There's no point having it. No. So you you mentioned like the Celtic women and stuff. You spent a lot of time in in Europe working. Mm-hmm. What uh, what 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 is that like? And what are the differences uh, compared to American shows? Or is it is it the same? I mean, are you renting every piece of gear when you go? Do you just you know put a backpack full of your favorite mics and go? Or what? I mean, <laughs> what's, what's different on your end of that? So that really depends on the size of the tour. Okay. Like if you're, if you're a, let's just hypothetically say like you're a Cadillac three, yeah. you're going to bring, you're going to bring a, a backpack full of microphones and probably four guitars. And that's okay. about it. Yeah. Uh, if you're doing a show like we did with Celtic woman, we didn't take anything. We literally set up um, a rehearsal facility and rented everything uh, over there and collected it all. We got it from, from the, Audio Rents, which is the European version of Claire Brothers. Claire Brothers, okay. Right. So we were in, in uh, collecting all the gear in Basel, Switzerland, and it all came to the first day, um, which I th- I think was in um, wasn't Amsterdam. I don't remember. Anyway, it all collects the first. We collect all the gear in one place. We basically build it like you're prepping for a tour. And you take it from the rehearsal space where you rehearse for a week or so, and then you go to the first gig and you put it in trucks, just like you do here. The difference is um, over there, the trucks are quite a bit smaller. Yeah. um, Because the roads are a little more narrow and you can't have quite as long as a big truck like you'd have here in the States. (laughs) So a four truck, five truck tour here would be like eight or 10 trucks over there. So you have to, you have to plot it out a lot differently. Um, but as far as like the shows themselves, they're pretty much the same. Yeah. If you're in, if you're in countries that, uh, primarily speak English as a first or second language, people just talk to you like they do here. You know, yeah. um, most of Western Europe is a lot nicer than most of the places in the United States. <laughs> the people are generally pretty nice. Has, has, has gear changed that much? I mean, are you oh, guys, God. are you guys using Pro Tools and Ableton and all that stuff? Or is it, I mean, uh, it on Celtic Woman we did. Changed? On Celtic Woman we did because it was a very theatrical show. Okay. There was a lot of special effects and, you know, we didn't carry a symphony with us. So we had to sure, have right. all that stuff. And we used a, a system called Radar. Okay. Yeah. Made by a company in Canada called IZ. And uh, we found it to be really, really stable. And at that time, Pro Tools wasn't. 
Yeah. Uh, Ableton wasn't even really a format that was usable at that time. So right. that wasn't a, that wasn't a, I know everyone, especially in country, everyone now is using Ableton just because a- yeah. it's, it's pretty easy and it's pretty user-friendly and it's pretty stable. Yeah. <coughs> so that's, that, that's gotta make your life. I mean, after 20 years, 30 years in the business, you're learning giant wads of technology and stuff. That's gotta be kind of, exciting and also stupid if it were generally better across the board it would be amazing (laughs) but it's typically not yeah Yeah. newer is not always better right i wish it were but you know i had I'm, i'm an old analog guy by nature you know i like vinyl records i was a cd guy until you know the mp3 came along and then i'm like what's this no yeah no, I'm totally with you. So, what makes? Same, you, go ahead. It's, sorry, it's, it's the same. It's the same in in the touring world. Um, you know, consoles have gotten smaller and more efficient. Absolutely, and more convenient and you know more cost effective. More efficient it doesn't doesn't make them better. They certainly yeah. don't sound better. Um, yeah, but when you have the general population essentially. You know, most of them are listening to MP3s through earbuds or yeah, uh, just a regular laptop or whatever. <laughs> it's very rarely is it a, a high definition listening environment. So I got, they don't yeah. know the difference, and it's not their fault. They've just never heard it before. Yeah, I got read the Riot Act by this one young guitar player, and he said, "What do you use when you record at home?" Because I got Pro Tools and whatever. And I said, man, I use a fractal, Axe effects. Mm-hmm. Really? Uh, whatever. Why? <laughs> I go, well, because it's also my very happy wife's home. <laughs> and I, need, <laughs> I need to keep it a very happy wife's home. And he goes, yeah, dude, I use a 56 uh, Tele and a 59 Bandmaster. And I said, dude, I'm sure your tone is fantastic. That sounds like a dream. But then you record it and it gets compressed. And then it goes to Apple and it gets compressed. And then it goes <laughs> to my niece who's wearing a pair of earbuds that cost a dollar. And it yep. got compressed again. <laughs> I go, I don't know, man. <laughs> There's a lot of gear like this that is really wonderful. And it's it's like you say, man, if I can throw my guitar rig in a backpack and go, it's not a bad deal. Yeah, man. When we when we do fly dates with Lee Bryce, we essentially have 20 Pelican cases that we can check into luggage. And that is really? our entire rig. Our entire rig can fit into 20 Pelican cases. Holy cow. Guitars, pedal boards, three campers a bass rack, uh, an acoustic rig, and uh, two Pelicans for, for drum stuff, um, carries an SPD, um, and, you know, the rest is all guitars. What's too. an SPD? Uh, the Roland SPD. Oh, it's okay, the, okay. It's a, little, it's a little electronic octopad from the old days. Okay. The octopads. Boop, 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 boop. You know, it's got, it's got pads. <laughs> <clears throat> you can program it to do whatever, you know, but the SPD is also great because you can use it to fire Pro Tools and stop it. Oh, really? Yeah. It's so, not just, it's not just bass drops and boom, whack, boom, whack. So, so is the drummer starting the Pro Tools? From, huh? Okay. Okay. 
when there is Pro Tools. We only have a few. Only have a few. Yeah. That have, you know all the special effects and bells and whistles and all the stuff that you can't really recreate live. So what makes your gig great and what makes it rotten? I suppose, I mean, like, not this last year, but festivals are such ready, fire, aim. You're just running. Yeah, that doesn't bother me. Doesn't bother you at all? No. Because you've done it forever. Bring it on. (laughs) If I can get three minutes to tune the PA and make sure every microphone's working, I'll open that desk up wide open as a ma-ha-ha. Really? Bring it. Bring it. I ain't afraid. Count it off. Wide open. WFO. So what kind of, what? WFO. (laughs) So so what does it take temperament wise to do your job? I mean, you obviously, you know what you're doing technically, but do you have to deal with idiots or is it, are you pretty much, pretty much protected from most of the idiots when you're on the road? I don't mean the. You know, I, gotta, I, I, will, I will say this. I will say this. I made a little uh, uh, slant earlier in this recording about Europeans versus Americans. Uh, that's not exactly true across the board. I will say this: most of the country fans in our genre that come, especially ones that come to see Lee, they're genuinely nice people, pretty huge, much across the board, and huge fans. They are huge fans. Yeah. Um, yeah. Obviously, sure. you, you always get the occasional crazy. Yeah. That's that's, that's just part of the population. <laughs> but you get your average crazy going to get some fries at Denny's, too. I mean, that's, oh, I that's see the just, average crazy at the grocery store all the time. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, when it comes to, like, interaction, <laughs> most of the time it's, it's with local crews and uh, yeah. venue staff and – what I have found myself is you often get back what you give out. You know, mm. when I was a, a much younger person and not quite as easygoing as I am these days, <laughs> I would find a lot of pushback from a lot of people. But, it, you know, as I look back in hindsight, it's because I was pushing to begin with. You know, I started the pushing. Yeah. Sit mm. down, shut up and hang on. You'll be fine. Yeah. Show's going to happen, and it's going to be good. Yeah. Come 7.30, there's going to be country music. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm not talking about Lee, because I don't – but do you ever get sick of music when you're mixing, or do you just put it on autopilot, and you just just know that whether you like that song or not, it sounds good? I don't ever get bored or tired uh, when I'm working. Okay. <clears throat> like I, I'm quite fond of pretty much every genre of music there is. Yeah. But it has oh, to dude. be quality. Yeah. That's, you know, like I can, it doesn't literally like my girlfriend to tell you, we made a trip to Arkansas um, about a year ago and we the whole way down. All we listened to was Eminem and Dre and Biggie and yeah. like for six hours. And that's a lot. Look, Tupac, you know, it's, it's a lot, but man, it was a great time. It was, it was fun. You know, I enjoyed it. <laughs> but like if I'm home, you know, most of the stuff that I like to listen to is just stuff to calm my nerves. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, Pantera and drill bits and stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I did put on some Pantera the other day. I, was, yeah. I felt in the mood for, for domination and that, you know, breakdown, which is one of the 
heaviest objects in the universe. I put Pantera on most days, so yes. So would you <laughs> would, would you ever take a gig with somebody whose music you just hated? Is it I mean it can't all be about money, but obviously if the biggest band in the world came to you and said, We'll give you I don't a- know if there's the biggest band in the world that I hate. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of, of like boy bands, but I mean I could still go do Backstreet with no problem. Yeah. I still have a good time with it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, so, I mean, if you, if you want to try and pick a band that I might really not like, I could probably tell you at that point. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to, cause we'll hurt somebody's feelings. We'll definitely hurt somebody's feelings and it might be one of my friends. Exactly. <laughs> so do you want to do my lightning round? Sure. Okay. First of all, I asked you if, if there's anything I forget, jump in so did i forget anything anything you wanted to talk about uh i did want to say one thing one of my there was a couple of highlights in my career yeah Um, man one of them rate ray charles story please yes one of them uh i was blessed again to be at the right place at the right time and i got to mix ray charles at a private event in los angeles for a corporate uh entity called sitgo gas company the people that make gasoline um, there's back in the late nineties, man, those, those big giant corporate parties were just the epitome of gluttony. Oh man. Literally like Pepsi That'd had these awesome. massive things. And, and, you know, uh, this was a, a gas company and the, the oil companies would do it too. Anyway, they would throw these massive corporate events and they hired Ray Charles, uh, to come and play their events. <laughs> Can you imagine that? And he sub-hired the Los Angeles Chamber Orchestra. Oh, 42 pieces. Now, Mr. Charles was a bit of uh, an audio guru. Yeah. Um, he knew what he was listening to. Well, not only that, but it's, it's, it really is true about uh, someone who loses a sense that the other senses become more heightened. Mm, yeah. Especially in his case, because, you know, his mind worked so much more brilliantly than just about everyone else who's ever yeah. But, um, you know, he's a human just like we all are. <clears throat> so yeah. Mr. Charles had this um, way of doing things and he would sit at the piano and he had a little electric piano to one side. So he sat, when he sat the, the, the nine foot set sideways. So he would face stage right. The piano would be facing mm-hmm. stage right. But when he turned to face the audience, he had a little whirly right there. And he right. literally had a little powered speaker under the whirly that, that basically made the sound back <laughs> at him. He wouldn't allow wedges. There's no monitors. Really? At all. None. And he would only allow sectional miking of the orchestra, the chamber orchestra, 42 wow. piece orchestra, 42 piece orchestra. He has a, a guitar, bass and drums. So get this from where he sat, the drum set had to be exactly 12 feet behind him directly. The guitar player had to be at a 45 degree angle at his, at his right at six feet. And the bass player had to be at his 45 degree angle, his left at eight feet. So six, eight, and 12. Gosh. Again, no monitors. And he would only let me put up section mics. So for this entire show, 
which in the real world could have easily been 75 to 100 inputs, I had 11. Holy 11 microphones did the entire thing. And he knew. He knew. And when it got time for showtime, um, the second song in was a song for you, Leon Russell. And I had to step back from the desk. And I, <laughs> I just sat back and just soaked it in. Like there was nothing for me to do anyway. Yeah. And I was just like, and I teared up. Oh, I was going to say. I teared up. Absolutely did. It was so beautiful. Oh, man. Just absolutely magical. Magic. Is there any way in the world any of that has been recorded or do you have it and you're not telling us about it? I wish I did. I yeah. wish I did. No, he had he had a lot of handlers and they would never allow something like that. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. <clears throat> yeah. He also man. had a... Uh, um, interesting bit in his contract writer where he literally wanted a case of Dom Perignon. <laughs> a and case. Did he drink any of it? I don't have any idea. We never got back there. <laughs> <laughs> when everyone left and we went and cleaned up the dressing room, there was none left. I can tell you that. <laughs> I don't know who drank it, but somebody did. Maybe he gave it to the orchestra. I don't know. Man, that, I don't know. that's good stuff, dude. <laughs> all righty you ready for my lightning round do it okay this is painful so i hope you're okay with that oh boy no this is i'm asking you a question and you answer do I need a shot of whiskey if you want yeah if you got one there give me a second okay you got the uh theme from jeopardy oh no you can't do music sorry never mind <laughs> <laughs> Why Wayne is away. I'm gonna, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just sitting there. It's all good. I'm back. All right. What'd you get? Jameson. Oh, the, come on. For the love of the Irish. Because I do love the Irish. I do love the, the Irish. As they say, sláinte. Exactly. I don't know what that word means, but I heard it a lot in Ireland. It's essentially a a um, a um, it means to good health. Here's to good okay. health. All right. Um, I will tell you, and this is so horrible of my my association, but working with Roddy Millsap when I was at RCA, mm-hmm. another fantastic musician who happens to be. Black. Oh my God, that dude could hear unbelievably oh well. Of he course, was so, he was pretty deaf. But when he what he could hear was it was amazing. But like he was he so memorized, funny. He memorized notes for frequencies. Really? Is that how yeah. you, he did that? Okay. Yeah. He could tell you exactly what frequency it was by what note it was on the piano. Wow. Well, his tour <laughs> manager was Phil Cook, mm-hmm. and Phil would always bring him out to see us when I was at RCA, and Phil would whisper into his ear, "Hey, man, it's 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 Bart from the record label." And Ronnie would always stick his hand out and go, hey, Bart, it's good to see you, man. And I never (laughs) knew if he was just screwing with me or if he just, everybody else said that. Hey, man, good to see you, dude. How you doing? And so, anyway, I just always thought that was funny. (laughs) Anyway, still love that cat. 
still love film. <laughs> All right, here we go. Lightning round. You ready? I'm ready. What's your favorite book? Who are your favorite authors? Uh, I don't really read fiction. Um, so probably, jeez. Uh, uh, um, one of my, I know this is stupid. Isaac Asimov. How about that? <clears throat> are you a bath or a shower guy? Shower without a doubt. All right. What's the last gift you gave someone? <laughs> um, uh, I'll go with a bottle of wine. All right. All right. What's the first concert you saw? How old were you? And did you get a t-shirt? I was 10. It was 1978. And it was Kiss. And I think it was the Love Gun Tour. I did not get a shirt, but I wish I had. I bet you got one now. <laughs> <laughs> I have some Kiss shirts, but I don't have that one. What's the last movie you saw in a theater? <clears throat> oh, jeez. I know. Probably on the road somewhere. No, I don't go to movies on the road. Really? No, not at all. Um, last movie I saw in the theater. God, probably the Matrix 3. <laughs> What's your favorite cigar? No, Star Wars. There was one of the new Star what? Wars. Okay. One of the new Star Wars. I can't remember which one. What's your favorite cigar and whiskey combo? Ooh, Monte Cristo number two, Habana, without a doubt. Okay. Pair, pair that with some uh, 12-year Macallan. Nice. Nice. If there's any band you could be uh, on the road with, who would it be? Oof. Man. And it doesn't mean stadium band, Rolling Stones or whatever. Maybe it's a, a great, fantastic club Foo band fighters. or whatever. Foo, Foo fighters. fighters? Okay. Foo fighters. So that makes my comment from last night even a little bit more funny. <laughs> 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 so what would you be doing uh, if you weren't doing this? Um, Jesus, I don't know. Um, probably teaching. Really? Yeah. Teaching music, I assume? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I love I could, that. I could, I could teach music or I could teach engineering or I could teach recording. I could teach yeah. history if I wanted. Man, I love uh, that. I'd have to do a little studying, but yeah. What are you listening to for fun these days? Um, hmm. Man, I really don't. Ah. Oh. There's so much good new stuff out there, man. Um, hang on. Give me a second. Ashley McBride. Okay. She's was, fantastic. Can't get enough. I was going. I mean, it's not the kind of thing I can listen to all day, every day for sure. Yeah. Uh, I did. I, uh, I did recently get uh, gifted a, um, a Van Halen uh record that was a bootleg hang on i'll show it to you check this shit out what is that live 1977 yep look at that baby Uh, where was was that recorded uh the the uh 
Pasadena Civic Auditorium. What is Rocks Vox? I don't know. That's some kind of uh, 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 like a okay. branding of some sort or something. They're, they're, I think they're like the the people who go out and find this stuff. And I'm assuming you're gonna send me a. <clears throat> this is number seven ninety eight of a thousand. There's only a thousand of these. Okay. Well, I, so this is I, number seven ninety eight. If you'd like to come out and listen to it, I'll be more than happy to play it for you. I would like to. It's pretty I, awesome. I would rather you <laughs> sent me a copy of it. <laughs> <laughs> so what's next for you, man? You've been on the road for 30 years. What's next? Man, I'm trying to diversify. Um, yeah. I've, I've gotten uh, some great, great partnerships and uh, business opportunities moving forward. I've uh, been... Um, partnered with a, a, a good friend of mine, Stefan Hamelak in a publishing company and an artist development company. And uh, we had staff writers for a while and the pandemic hit and we don't have staff writers anymore. We have one artist that we're working with exclusively, um, a young lady named Ameva, A-M-A-V-A. She's a pop singer, uh, new to the scene, got some pretty great stuff um, all over Spotify getting some real traction at this point. So cool. That's, that's my main outside focus outside of Lee Bryce. Nice. Uh, I've got a couple other irons in the fire here and there with, you know, some other up and coming artists, but it's all, that's all in development stage at this point. So we'll see what happens, but I'd like to be able to, I'd like to, I'd like to continue to, to tour uh, as long as I'm, happy doing it and as long as my health holds out and so far doing all right you know after having had a heart attack and a motorcycle wreck two years apart i think i'm still doing all right (laughs) (laughs) but that's all i can still get on on the bus that's right so you know i'm all right i just need some help to get to that third step well i can't sleep in the top bunk anymore i can tell you that (laughs) i'm not getting up there (laughs) But I think seniority is working in my favor at that point. Dude. So what are your uh, socials and stuff? Your Instagram, your Facebook, whatever? Do you want to see uh, what they are? Man, I'm kind of lame, to be honest with you, in that department. I'm on Facebook. Um, I have a, a Twitter at uh, – <laughs> shit, I don't even know what it's called now. Hang on. Uh, Twitter. I'm on Twitter. I'm on the – I got the tweets. Um, the house has an Instagram. The Stately Wayne Manor? Yeah. The Stately Wayne Manor has an Instagram, mm. uh, which I, I plan that. to get active on again now that the weather has broken. Not much fun posting the same photos of the same fire every night. So, <laughs> I mean, it looks the same every night. So, but now that the weather's breaking, I'm planning to get back on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Did you get your shots yet? Did I ask you that? Man, I'm trying to find, I'm trying to find the Johnson Johnson. Yeah, um, we got both. I know it's getting, out there. I just haven't been able to haven't been able to wrangle one for myself just yet. But I'm actively looking. We're getting our second one tomorrow. Nice. Congratulations. So, this oh, Johnson yeah. Johnson one. No, I'm sorry, the Pfizer yeah. one. We're doing yeah. five. So Johnson Johnson's one and done. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I can take two. I'm pretty tough. <laughs> yeah, that's why I've heard that about you. <laughs> 
Well, man, I love you, dude. I'm so thankful for you. I'm so thankful for you doing this with me, man. I love you more. And, uh, I, I, I doubt that. You are the, the best guy ever at seeing someone from across the room and just reaching down and, and dialing their phone, their cell phone, and just see if they see if they. <laughs> yes, I have done that to you a couple of times. <laughs> Well, let's see if Bart's going to answer yeah. as I watch you not answer. It's loud. <laughs> it's loud. I know. <laughs> I just want to see your reaction. I know you're not going to answer. I just want to see your reaction. All right, man. We're getting <laughs> together soon, dude. I, I really appreciate your time, Wayne. Thanks, man. Always a pleasure, my brother. Always. Love you so much. Love Thank you, you too. for having me. And uh, we'll get together soon for sure. You got to get right. out to the manor here and we'll uh, we'll have a good time. Absolutely, man. All right. Love you, buddy. Love you too, brother. Take care. Bye.